It's my podcast. Change, change. Of course we're talking about change. Of course, why not? So, I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm going to tell you the truth, too. Here's my podcast. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It is Monday at 7 o'clock p.m. My name is Andre. I am both host and founder of BSTL. And what does BSTL stand for? It stands for Building Something That Lasts. So, of course, we have been uh, celebrating uh, these different countries that slowly but surely we are engaging in. And I'm just so happy to report that, guess what? We are now in Syria. I'm not sure how many people in Syria, but I do know that we've gotten across to Syria. I'm excited about this uh, because this means that our podcast is no longer just localized, but it's something that is taking us around the world. So anyways, I hope you're well. Um, For those of us that are in uh, North America, more specifically in the country of Canada, Ontario, Toronto, uh, we are slowly but surely seeing all of these leaves. They're pretty much gone. The temperature is beginning to change, but that's okay. We are alive and we are well. So anyways, today I wanted to have a conversation with us, with you, about something that I think that is extremely important. I want to talk to us a little bit about culture and what process has to do with culture, right? So here's the title, Process Creates Culture. So this conversation, uh, I I hope um, this will resonate with you all. Uh, Because, you know, there are a lot of different authors that talk about culture and how to break culture and all of those kinds of things. And so this is not against them. uh, But what this is, is this is a conversation that will hopefully give us a little bit more perspective on the power behind culture. So here's where I really want to start off with. Right. So I've got kids. And one of the things I love about my kids is they are all advocates for justice. <laughs> and when I say advocates for justice, I, I don't really mean it in the purest sense. I mean that they are self-serving um, lobbyists that really enjoy trying to have their own kind of way. But they are great kids, but kids are kids, right? Children are children. I know somebody out there uh, that's an English major, you're trying to correct me right now. So let me just fix it. Children are children. However, one of the things that I've discovered about um, my children who are great advocates at different talk points around, you know, what matters to them is it's, it's so interesting how they often hold me accountable, me as their dad. They often hold me accountable uh, whenever I'm not optimal in decision making. Now, let me explain to you what I mean. So one of the things, and I never use names, right, because they're going to grow up one of these days and somebody's going to say, I heard a sound bite, and so I know what you were like as a child. So I never really use names unless um, it's okay. And maybe on this one I'll, I'll refrain from using their names. But one of the things that I have discovered is that they will generally check me when I am not consistent in my parenting. So what does that look like, right? So one child will come and they will ask, you know, are we allowed to do this? And this is on Monday. And maybe on Monday I say yes. And then by Thursday, they come back and they ask the same question again. But this time they're not asking it the same way. They're asking it in a different kind of way. And then I say no. So here's what happens. In those moments when I've said one thing on Monday, and then another thing on Thursday, whoever it is that is on the losing side, they always will say loud and clear, but dad, here's what you said on Monday. Why are you now saying it differently on Thursday? 
And the reality is anything could have happened from Monday through to Thursday, or maybe I'm just being arbitrary, or maybe I'm just being a bully because I'm their dad and they kind of have to go along with a lot of what I have to say. But what I've discovered is, is that while I may have the trump card of father to them, the reality is they're absolutely right when they check me in that kind of way. And when I say check me, what I'm really saying is, is that if I am inconsistent between Monday and Thursday, then I'm actually creating a challenge around the culture of what answers look like in the context of my family. So now let's just trickle away from this and maybe pivot away from this and talk a little bit about what this looks like by way of organization. And I think process is a greater killer than culture is. And when I say culture, we know what we mean. We're not necessarily talking about ethnicity. We're really talking, or gender, we're really talking about how we do what we do consistently. Now, when I was a young leader, uh, just coming into this thing, I used to really uh, despise, I almost said hate, but that's not a good word. I used to really despise meetings. And the reason why I would despise the meetings is that we would often have you know, meetings and sometimes it just seemed like we were you know, rolling around in circles. At times it would feel like, like, where are we going uh, with this thing? And how come we're not doing it this way or that way? And I really didn't like going to meetings because I often felt that they were a waste of time because often in meetings, those meetings were just there maybe to just rubber stamp decisions uh, that had already been made. But the longer I have led is the more I recognize that meetings that have processes and meeting minutes and information that is easily accessible to anyone, especially if you are running an organization that tries to have full transparency, it is important that you create processes. Now, why do you want to have processes? Number one, the reason why you want to have processes is because without it, it is chaotic, And when I say chaotic, let me explain to you what I mean. I don't mean chaotic in terms of you got people bouncing off the walls or people that are climbing the walls or people that are jumping out out of the windows when things don't happen a certain way. Really what I'm talking about is it is chaotic for those who require structure in order to understand how they do what they do. But then also on the flip side, it is good to have process for individuals that kind of like to shoot from the hip. So here's the thing then, the process that I'm talking about today is how we get from one decision to another consistently. Now, to those of you that are wondering, why talk about this? This doesn't seem to be as interesting as some of the other conversations. Let me just say this. If you are leading in any type of organization long enough, you're going to appreciate this conversation because at the end of the day, wherever there is a process that you try to stick close to, and it doesn't mean that you never veer off from it. So I also need to say that as well, right? Because I know that there's somebody that's listening today that's saying to themselves, yep, I always talk about this. We need to have a manual. We need to have laws and and, and whatever. I, I get it. You need to have them, but you also need to have a little bit of flexibility within those laws, within those statutes, within the, the information that you use as your guiding principle, because every now and then, even though you have a process, 
the reality is there are going to be times where within that process you realize that because you have not anticipated all thing, all things, you have to have some type of wiggle room to ensure that you don't get so locked into a particular thing, to the minutia of that thing, that you are unable to make a different decision because you're kind of stuck there, right? Now, why is this important? Because really and truly, how you make decisions, how you come up with how decisions are made will determine how those that lead with you, how they see you as well as the organization from a process-driven base. Now, uh, let me just maybe say it this way in a different kind of way. No matter how much you try to think and or say that you, you are not creating a culture, the moment you start putting people together in a room, you are developing culture, whether it is with intentionality or not. And the thing is, the, the world is changing, isn't it, right? So once upon a time, you would go to a very specific country and you might find that there are different people groups that are in that space, right? And different different people groups have a different process for how they lead, right? So some uh, pe people, uh, they come from a, a background where whatever the man says, it goes, right? So no matter what it is, whether it's a great decision, whatever that guy says, it goes. Some people come from cultures where whatever she says, it goes. And no matter what is said, no matter who it is, this woman, this voice, this head of the family, whatever she says, it goes. And then, of course, you go to some other cultures where children never, ever have a voice. They are to be seen and they are not to be heard. Now, the problem with this is, is that as the world changes, you are now beginning to see uh, the world bringing together different people groups that come from different spaces, different ethnicities, uh, different religious backgrounds, different way of doing things and doing life. And the reality is, is that as we now become a world that is just separated by Wi-Fi passwords, but, but not necessarily by borders and countries, you're now seeing for the very first time, especially um, post-pandemic where you can have a hybrid workforce, the reality is we, we no longer have workplaces where we have the same of all people working in that room or working in that space. So part of the reason why we have to have process is because we, we, we want to make sure that these cultural norms that are a part of how we normally would do things in our home, in our own culture, they don't cloud how we make decisions when we are now in a space where people don't um, subscribe to how we do what we do. So what does that look like? Well, when you are leading and you are leading people, I really strongly agree and really want to say this and put my voice behind it, that before you begin to move forward, you've got to see by consensus, how are we going to make decisions? Like, what does that process look like? Are we going to vote for it together? Are we going to leave it to the leader? Are we going to create some type of subcommittee that makes all decisions and whatever they say goes? And the reality is, I'm not saying that any one of those decisions are, are, are better than the other. But here's the thing. You will know whether or not what you are doing is, is well done based on whether or not it outlives the individual who has been a part of creating this type of process. So here's the other thing that I'm saying. 
if we are going to do this thing well, the processes that we put in place that really impact and create culture, they have to be good enough ones whereby we are not changing them every single time we have a new leader that is in the room. And we've been there before, right? For those of us that are leaders, we have been in some spaces where somebody has sat in a position for 10 to 20 years and they they led, whether with a soft fist or with an iron fist, and the moment that they left, whether they quit or they retired, they moved on to something else. The reality is, is that as soon as they left the room, right away, individuals tried to bring it back to where it was before. Now, let me tell you why there's a danger in that. The reality is you can never actually go back to what you have left behind. And let me explain why. I mean, the truth is people are constantly growing. Right. And when I say growing, not just age wise, but I'm saying growing. Right. So think about who you were in year one through five as a leader. Think about some of the decisions that you made in the first five years of you leading people. Right. And I'm not talking about leading as a dictator. I'm just saying like you were sitting in the seat and people turned to you and they were like, hey, Andre, what do you think? How should we do this? Think about how you make the made those first decisions over the first few years of your life and ask Ask yourself this question. If I had it to do it all over again, would I make those decisions those ways or would I find a different way? And here, here's what I want to say, and I'm being completely transparent with you. As a leader, when I would have been much younger, I really was all about this positional power, right? So whatever the title is, I was like, yeah, that's my title. And so therefore, because I've got the title, I have the right to do X, Y, and Z, A, B, and C. But the longer I live and the longer I lead, I really do believe that leading by consensus is the best way to lead, even if there are decisions that are being made that I may not necessarily agree to. And let me explain to you why. Because when we lead by consensus with really good information, I need to throw that in there, right? So it's not just that it's any old information and the information is glaringly incorrect. No, I'm saying that whenever we lead by consensus, we make the assumption that we've done the groundwork and we have done the best that we can to put things in the best type of position to ensure that we are doing it the right way. Those are the assumptions that I make, especially of senior leaders because you've already had the various experiences throughout your lifetime to know that decision is not going to work, especially if we are working in isolation. So part of what I say now, you know, in hindsight, because I think I'm leading a little bit differently and maybe a little bit better than I have in the past, I strongly suggest that when we are going through this process that is creating culture, collaboration has to be one of the best things that we really strive for with excellence. Like the idea that we put a bunch of people who are different gender, different race, different mindset, different educational background, All of that is important. And when we put all of these individuals in the room, we first of all, before we start making any type of decision, we have to discuss how do we make a decision? What is the process for how we make a decision? How do we say yes and how do we say no? All of these things are absolutely important because once you've decided what the process looks like, no matter what you are talking about in principle, it's going to be a better decision versus when you just kind of do things willy-nilly. 
And let me just say this, because as leaders, it almost does seem as though you lose a little bit of your power. But really, what is power, right? Because at the end of the day, if you stand on the mountain and you're the only one on the mountain and and nobody has followed you up the mountain, I promise you, you're not necessarily leading. You're just doing mountain climbing. And one of the things that I've discovered, especially around this collaborative piece, where people come together and we make decisions together, what happens is that, yes, there will obviously be moments where you will make great decisions and everybody will clap and they will celebrate and say, wow, that was such a good idea when we did it that way. But can I also tell you this as well? There will be times where you will make a decision by consensus where, where no one in the room picked up on some of the blind spots. And you will have made a decision that was not a good decision. And in that moment, because we've done this as a collaboration, we've worked together to make a decision together, then the truth is the entire team will have to bow their he- um, their heads in reverence and solace and solitude and whatever it is, and we will all have to say together, we missed this together. Now, why is process so important? Not just because of the decisions that have to be made and not just because of the culture that it is creating, But process is important because it allows the organization to see how they come to the point of whatever it is that they decide to do together. And ultimately, you know what it does breed? It breeds unity. And I don't know. I mean, I I know that not every organization uses this, but as a core value, can I just tell you, unity is one of those things that I strongly, strongly agree with, especially the older that I get. Because at the end of the day, it's true that we will never always agree on how something happens, but I think we have to more often than not agree on why we are doing what we are doing. So the more often we collaborate on the process, collaborate on the decisions that we make, collaborate on how we come to a consensus, collaborate on how it is that we are going to do what we're doing in light of our mission, our vision, and our core value, is the more often that we will find ourselves moving together, even if we are moving a little bit slower. And so here's the other thing that I'd also like to say, right, because as leaders, um, here's the the truth, and and, and you're allowed to disagree with me. Uh, By the time we walk into a room, we have thought about that meeting so many times. We have uh, considered all of the various possible blind spots that we really are confident that if we would just do this one thing, that will push us further. But the problem is, is that while we may be uh, so absorbed in how we think about what we're going to do and how we're going to do it, that we forget that when we are having a conversation in a room with board members and other individuals who are part of the decision-making process, here's the reality. They're thinking about something in the meeting that they may not have considered before. And so here's the thing, when you're trying to now make a substantial decision that somebody is hearing for the very first time, and you want them to make a decision within 45 minutes to an hour of discussing the thing, you almost do yourself an injustice because here's the thing. 
on your boards, in your spaces, in your executive meetings, you have different people who process in a different kind of way. You have um, extroverts and introverts and sanguines and melancholy and all of these different personality traits. And, you know, the, the reality is each person has their own way or their own process of coming to a decision. And while some people are like, let's just make a decision and whatever the fallback is for it, let's move forward. You do have individuals who will be in the room that are a little bit more pensive, a little bit slower to make a decision. Like the reason why they don't talk, it's not because they don't care. It's because you are now uh, deliberating and delivering information for the very first time or even for the second time. And depending on how you communicate, and let's be honest, right? As leaders, we often think that we are very clear in everything that we often present. That's why we don't, uh, we're not nervous in these meetings we think oh yeah i said it the right way i've got my overhead i've got my powerpoint and this is what i wanted to say and this is what i'm saying but the reality is you do have individuals who are in that room who are not taking in the information as quickly as it is coming out and let me just say this to those of us that don't love process you are not necessarily creating an alliance of individuals who trust you. They may be going along with you because they perceive you as having the power in the room. And so this process thing from steps one through to ten, from steps one to three, or maybe there's just one step, the reality is the more we create the process is the better the culture will be because ultimately if we don't have a process, the culture is going to be willy-nilly. And you are going to find that if we don't have to collaborate and we don't have to work together, when those leaders now have an opportunity, right? Because remember, we are creating an environment where leadership is constantly moving up, right? Where we are actually hoping that when we hire people, that they would not just stay on the front lines. We, we are anticipating that they will become ambitious. And many of them, they do join our organizations that kind of way already, but we want want them to move up. We want them to become team leads and supervisors and managers and VPs and regional and district people. We want that out of the people that we have. But here's the thing. Even if you are not being intentional in your mentorship, right? Because sometimes we don't always have enough time to give people the time and the attention to help them to become uh, what we would like them to be. So here's the thing. In all of these meetings that they've been coming to where you have been leading and as an organization you have been leading and you don't have a process and really it's whoever's in the room that has the loudest voice or the most education or whatever it may be, without a process you are developing leaders who will lead tomorrow the exact same way i mean it is true right we 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 do make those observations and how many times have we said that is so and so and so and so was mentored by so and so and that's why they lead the way that they lead and the reality is is that you're never going to be a perfect leader right everybody is going to have a flaw something that they are battling with all the way through. I mean, everyone is going through something. So while you are leading, you're also living your own personal life. But the reality is, if you have a process, then whether or not people make great decisions quickly 
or they need a little bit more time to deliberate, your process becomes your best friend because the process is not arbitrary. It's a process that we have created together as leaders to ensure that we are on the same page even if we don't always agree. And here's the thing, as leaders, it's not about always having our way, it's about having a way. And within that way, the truth is, we are going to disagree. We are going to have a different method that we would like to implement. But how you do things may determine whether or not you actually get to your why. And so really, this is what I wanted to talk about today, right? The process that you are creating as leaders, it is creating a culture. And if you want to have an inclusive culture, you want to have a collaborative culture, if you want to have a culture where people are serving one another as leaders and not necessarily pushing their own uh, personal agenda, then at some point you're going to have to create a space where all of the voices that will be there in the present and in the future, they walk into a space where decisions are made that are best for the organization and not necessarily for the individual. And of course, somewhere in between there, there's going to be a decision that's going to be made that you won't agree with as a leader. But if you can track the process and see that we did our very best to ensure that the process was uh, followed to the best of our ability, I promise you, your organization is only going to get better. Because united we stand and divided we fall, but we all have a voice. Have a good week. I hope you enjoy this. And don't forget to like, subscribe, and share because we've got to take this message all over the world. And if you'd like to reach out and connect with me, bstlinc21 at gmail.com. Have a good day. Take care. Until next time. Hi, everybody. It's time for the recap. As a leader, ensure that you follow these processes to create a better culture within your organization. Number one, Create structure within your organization by making room for processes to allow for flexibility and full transparency with those that you work with. Number two, create an environment where culture can be maintained as leaders transition in and out of your organization. Number three, avoid working in isolation. Leading by consensus not only breeds unity in the decision-making process, but it also allows your team to strive for excellence as we work together. Thank you. Hope to hear from you. See you next week. Bye-bye.